0: I just want to link into um, that kind of prophetic flow of what Colin's been talking about, our senior leader. He's recently, a few, three, four weeks ago, just began to speak of the favor of God breaking out amongst us, and this favor of God, uh, a kind of a revival move, we know it's a a word that's used so often, but it would be characterized by a, a hunger for righteousness, a hunger for righteousness. And I think if I was to listen to the general conversations, whether they're negative or positive, whether they're complaining or they're seeking after God, the underlying issue amongst all of those is desiring more of God, desiring to meet with God, desiring to encounter God, desiring for our hearts to be transformed into the image of His Son. And that word favor is a powerful word. If you look to it in the context of uh, dictionaries and so on, it fails to meet the favor that God is seeking to dispense among us. Why? Because it talks about one human being favoring another. It talks about one take, giving other the unfair advantage. But when we talk about God giving of his favor, we're talking about something that is entirely unmerited. We're talking about a God who chooses out of his riches to put his spirit and his provision upon his people. Now, when you do look at the definition, it, looks, it talks about things like working to your advantage. Would you like God working to your advantage? Would you like him working? How about you working to God's advantage? What would that look like? Transform our lives when we start to think of that. Or showing approval of. What would it look like for God to show approval of us? And the great thing about the God that we serve and worship is that he is big enough to pour his favor on all of his children and not to have been unfair with anyone. God is perfectly just in the way that he blesses and shows his grace to his children. And I feel that there is a need for some of us to step out of survival mode, just having our heads down in the sand, hoping that the day of refreshing is going to come, and that today would be a, a striking match, a moment of expectancy in our hearts. I believe in my heart, just as with your heart, that something would change in our hearts today, that we would say, God, you know what, I want to meet with you in a deeper way. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, that What you have on offer is far outside of what we can imagine, what we can dream of, what we can hope for, what we can aspire to. But you determine to pour out upon your children. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that today there would be a step change in our thinking and our approach to you that we would shed the ways of the old man, that we would shed the eyes of the flesh, and that we would look upon things with the eyes of the Spirit, that we'd understand the promise of God, that the favour of God would fill and flood our hearts, and that we would never be the same again. Amen. Now today I want to take in as a lead-in two verses from the Sermon on the Mount, which I'll then unpack in the context of a story. This particular verse has been on my mind for six months or, or more, and The thing to remember about the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes is that this is the invitation of Jesus into life in the Spirit. And if you take time to read through the different Beatitudes one by one, you find that Jesus is offering the divine perspective on human reality. When we find ourselves in poverty, when we find ourselves mourning, when we find ourselves having to choose to defer to another, when we find ourselves in sin and needing God's righteousness, when we find ourselves needing mercy, in the context of all of these very human experiences, Jesus provides the divine perspective. He gives us a context in which we must understand our human experience and beyond that he gives us the promise that he intends to pour out on our life. And they begin with the word blessed, the one I'm going to focus on today and come back to in a second. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Sometimes you you come into church and we ask this question, how are you doing? Are you blessed? And you get the nice Christian Sunday smile. Oh, of course, I'm blessed and highly favoured. And turn around and immediately like just back to normal. There's no sense of the blessing of God. But when we we look into the word blessing, it's derived from a word which means to make large or to become long. It's when God extends his benefit or blessing to our lives, makes us bigger through his blessing. It's when God puts upon us an, an enviable position of receiving his favor. It's literally when God enlarges us to put his kingdom in us In a fresh way, we're blessed. We receive the blessing of God and it transforms our whole perspective. But something more than that, this idea of blessing has connotations of bliss or prosperity, God prospering us. Now, when you think about the context, blessed are you when you, uh, for example, are poor uh, in spirit for for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You think, well, poverty in spirit is, is not a place where you find that you'll be blessed, blissful prospering, feeling enlarged and feeling like God's kingdom and goodness is being poured into you. But this is the perspective of heaven that Jesus is trying to release into our hearts. And it's intended to stir something of a longing for the kingdom of God in our lives. We have it in the great prayer, our Lord, our Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that desire that longing for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven is communicated in that blessing coming upon our lives and so Matthew 5 verse 5 uh, verse 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied these two are metaphors that we know well hungering and thirsting hungering and thirsting it's a bit difficult to preach this message at the two thirty service because you've all just gone and satisfied yourselves in nando's or, or on, at home before you came in but if you cast your mind back to the hunger you felt just a few hours ago that hunger where you're like oh my goodness i can't even focus on driving or what i'm doing right now because i'm hungry that kind of hunger hungering and thirsting i have a friend here james on the front row he um it's funny when you hang out with James because he might just have had lunch and you look at him and you say, um, James, are you hungry? <laughs> I could eat, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you show him a picture of food and his eyes just go wide. He's like, "Wow!" So even, even if he's just eaten, he could eat. Thirst. Sometimes you can put off hunger. If you drink enough, sometimes you can be so thirsty that you can't eat for dryness of your mouth. But sometimes there is a thirst which prepares and awakens the body towards a satisfying meal. And my prayer for today is that this message would be at least that thirst, if not a meal for you in terms of awakening your passion to the things of God. My desire is to see a fresh passion for righteousness released, to do my bit to join with our senior leader's emphasis, Colin's emphasis, on announcing this new season. And there might be some innovators here, there might be some early adopters to say, you know what, if God is going to do something new, I want to be a part of it. I'm speaking to the hungry, and also those on the edge of hunger, that we move from I could eat to I need to eat, and hence my title for today, Jesus I'm starving. A second verse from the um, Sermon on the Mount to give an additional passion to this is Matthew 6, 33. We all know this well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now you might be asking, where is this message going to fit in my context? Where is it going to fit in my agenda? This verse from Jesus gives us the ordering of our priorities. We all have things that we are responsible for and need to do, but how do we organize our priorities? How do we set things in order? And the hunger and thirsting for righteousness that we're called to in this great Sermon on the Mount is not a hunger for a delicacy. It's not a hunger for a nice dessert, a sweet cherry to sit on top of the cake, but rather it is a calling to hunger and thirsting for the very fundamental staple of all life, to walk in the righteousness of God. Basically, this is Jesus, the Lord, telling us how to get life right. And so I come now to the story, the context in which I want to unpack these two verses. It's the story of Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. a man who is born blind, but his physical disability has been the context in which he has nurtured within his heart, spiritually speaking, a hungry and thirsty man. His recovery of sight, I want to argue for you in just a moment, was an overflow of his hunger for God. Now we're going to, through this story, take... Three perspectives, three lenses of looking at the person of Jesus Christ. The crowd, Bartimaeus, and us. Let's first consider the crowd. What a fickle crowd they are. Look at their changing responses, hinging on Jesus' intervention. In the one moment, they're telling this poor, downcast, suffering man who has sat in the same place for years, who has been passed by for years, Who's been spat at for years, who has had to go hungry for years. They keep him in that place. They say, Listen, keep quiet. Jesus is doing something else. Listen, still yourself. Jesus is busy with the important people. Look at the way that Bartimaeus reacts. He's not interested in what they're saying, trying to shut him down. All the louder he starts shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I want to ask us the question, which part of the crowd are we? Which part of the crowd are we in terms of facilitating people to Jesus? How do we respond to the thirsty? The crowd thought that they had to keep this unclean man separate from the rabbi. And the moment that Jesus intervened, the moment that Jesus spoke a clarifying word, the moment that Jesus said, come over here, suddenly they've turned. They suddenly understood. Maybe their eyes have been opened. Listen, we need to get this uh, man now to see Jesus. And maybe we need our eyes open in that perspective. We're not to be a people that keep those who are hungry or thirsting from, for Jesus from him. Our calling is to show people how they can satisfy the thirst that is in their heart, a thirst that would awaken a hunger, a hunger that would awaken a passion for life. These people... They were broken cisterns in their original manifestation. Cistern is a place, a store of water, a flow of water. And the way that they were flowing what Jesus was doing was away from Bartimaeus, was in prejudice against Bartimaeus. But Jesus corrected them and said, bring him to me. I wonder where we find ourselves. Are we finding ourselves in that place where we're expectant of bringing people to God? Are we expectant of introducing people to Jesus? Or do we keep finding excuses not to? Oh, I could tell this person about the gospel. Maybe not. Look at the way they're acting. They don't deserve to know Jesus. Maybe I'll pass them by. But there's a time, there's a season coming upon us. And I want to announce that to you in a sense prophetically speaking that we need to repent of being a people that direct the flow of the Spirit away from the people that Jesus is trying to minister to, and instead invite people to satisfy their thirst at the feet of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Number two, so the first point was considering the crowd, but the second I want us to think a little bit about Jesus for a moment before we look at how Bartimaeus responds to him the text for us today, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. What is righteousness? Now there is a level that we can, uh, again, define righteousness as a standard, an act of justice, the act of doing something that agrees with God's standard, the state of being in a proper relationship with God. When we unpack this purely from a human perspective, what we do is do it in human terms. We try to follow a law. And the problem with trying to follow a law, you know, I'm a better Christian because I get to church at 2.20 and some people get here at 2.40 and miss the worship. I'm a better Christian. Or I'm the Christian who doesn't drink or smoke on a Sunday, but I do Monday to Saturday. But I know some Christians who sneak around the back for a cigarette. You know, we kind of come up with all of these rules to try and make ourselves a little bit better than somebody else. Forget about the the holy law that we find in the Bible, which sets the godly standard of what holiness is. But if we are trying to realize slightly better versions of ourselves, we are increasingly becoming blind to the power and reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we say, I've now taken one step in holiness, we block out all of the riches that are ours through faith in Christ Jesus. Because the law doesn't exist to show us how we get better and better in order to get there. The law exists to show us how far we have fallen from the glory of God. It's God's standard of righteousness. And He doesn't call us to succeed through trying to fulfill the law. Let's understand this, that righteousness, while it can be seen by the law, is not reflected in the law because all of the laws actually point towards the expression of a type of person. And from God's perspective, righteousness is a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus filled the law, and fulfilled the law in every way. He is perfect in every possible dimension of his humanity. And as such, he becomes the righteousness of God. He calls us to relationship with him. He calls us to know what it is to be right with God, but on the basis of relationship with him, not relationship with rules that we can't keep. And that righteousness is gifted to us by faith in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is right standing with God and having a righteous nature before God. Second Corinthians 5 verse 21 puts it like this. For our sake, the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we may become the righteousness of God. And this relationship with Christ is a relationship in which it's designed that we, as we spend our time with Him, as we spend our time speaking with Him and communing with Him and and relating with Him, that we would increasingly become like Him. This is not a righteousness where God says, okay, I'm all right with you, therefore go do what you want. That is simply returning to the sin which you've been set free from. We have been set free from sin, not set free to sin. And this invitation is, for all of us, a call to sanctification. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we're justified, we're right with God. But this transformation that comes about through hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness is a process of working out in our hearts, a sanctifying process, so that we become more like His Son. This is part of the born-again experience that every one of us is invited to. And this hungering and thirsting, this desperation, this yearning, righteousness is a yearning for dependence you cannot be righteous in and of yourself there is never going to come a time as a christian where you can say okay god i don't need you anymore i've got it i know how to live right see you later that's never going to come this this is a call to daily daily week by week month by year, year by year, decade by decade, intimacy with God and dependence upon God. Yearning for righteousness is a desire for the holiness and love and grace and truth that God has for us to manifest in and through our lives. Now, I might be pushing it theologically to argue this, but I want to suggest this to you, that righteousness is your cross. Righteousness is your cross. Jesus says elsewhere in the Beatitudes, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. He elsewhere calls us to take up our cross daily. And some of us have this idea that the daily cross that we're to take up is a heavy religious load, a heavy burden. But he says rather, take up your cross daily or put on Christ. Put on the robes that he has given us. We will walk in righteousness, we'll walk in truth. The world might persecute us, people might speak badly of us, but it's our privilege to carry the righteousness of God every single day. Amen. So this is the Jesus that Bartimaeus is crying out to. This is the Jesus that he's hungry for. He's heard stories. He's heard about the miracles. He's heard about the teachings. He maybe even heard about the Sermon on the Mount himself. He may have thought, you know what, this is a a guy that can change my life. I want to look first at Bartimaeus' satisfied. I suggested to you before that rather than just a blind man, we see someone who is hungry and thirsty. Hungry and thirsty. Let me pa- package it to you like this. Jesus asked him the question, What do you want? I love that he asked that question. He makes no assumption. You know, he could see a blind man and say, uh, What do you want? Oh, I need some food for, for, my, for my lunch today. Sometimes we have wonderful people come forward and we say, well, How can I pray for you? And you can see that they want to ask a prayer for themselves but then they say, can you pray for my parents or my my family members and so on? And it's great to pray for the family members, but sometimes there's something we need for ourselves. And Jesus dignifies Bartimaeus by asking him. He doesn't assume. He says, what do you need? Bartimaeus says that which we'd all hope he would say, can you restore my sight, please? And Jesus simply says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. We remember the story of the 10 lepers. The 10 were healed and they went their way. This is a pattern that we see with Jesus. It's a pattern where he makes no compulsion over the people that he's healing. He's not sitting there saying, hey, you know what? Now that I've healed you, now that I've done my bit, you need to do your bit. He doesn't feel the need to control other people. I'm sure though there's something in him where he says, you know, I heal you, go your way, but in his heart, but I... Desperately desire to have a relationship with you. I desperately want to walk with you in intimacy. And what's beautiful about the one leper who came back and what's beautiful about Bartimaeus is even though they were given permission by Jesus to go, it says that Bartimaeus followed him on the way. Bartimaeus followed him on the way. If all he had desired was for his sight to be restored, he would have been running, and he'd have been running for the thing that he had been dreaming about his whole blind time. Was it to see a stake? Was it to see his mother or his father or his long-lost girlfriend? Was it to see uh, the, the city of Jerusalem or the city of Jericho that he was in? What was it to see? He didn't turn to see any of those things, rather he turned to follow Jesus. This is the thing about Christ. He doesn't use his power to coerce us, but rather he inspires us to pursue a relationship with him. He doesn't use your need to control you. Equally, don't use your need to try to control him. The choice is yours to choose relationship with Christ. And for Bartimaeus, he chose to bind himself, to walk with the satisfier of his hunger and of his thirst. What about us today? It's the choice with us. It's the desire with us. Bartimaeus's choice to follow Christ may have seemed like an easy choice because You know, what did he have? He was sitting by the side of the road. He had nothing, no capacity, no no strength, no ability. All he could do was something new, and, well, something new, let's follow Jesus. But let's also remember that Bartimaeus' journey to follow Christ required him to join with the disciples. Bartimaeus' decision to follow Christ required him to stand up and participate with a crowd which had just been spitting at him, mocking him, telling him to shut up, telling him to sit down. Bartimaeus' journey to follow Christ required him to go through the hardship of forgiveness in the same way that he had received the forgiveness of God, his justification, he turned to forgive man and walk in his sanctification. This is the correct choice. It's an invitation for every single one of us to enter his kingdom and his righteousness. But it means that we leave behind the world of individualism that is with us. We cannot flourish in the kingdom of God without the basics of forgiveness. see it there in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive me, Lord, just as I forgive others. There's a forgiveness that happens before that prayer. It's the first forgiveness when we say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need the washing of your blood. The moment we become Christians, from the moment that we've experienced that forgiveness, we're called to imitate that forgiveness on a daily basis. Forgive others. Forgive me, Lord. And as we do that, we start to position ourselves for the kingdom of God to manifest in us. If we refuse forgiveness... Well, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're going to have to pray it like this. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Can you just wait for your kingdom to manifest on earth as it is in heaven? Because I'm not willing to forgive others just like I've been forgiven. Don't manifest your kingdom in me because I am not ready to manifest your kingdom towards people who deserve forgiveness just like I receive forgiveness. We don't need to pray like that or we shouldn't want to pray like that, right? We're called to be a people that invite God's presence the kingdom to manifest in our lives. But in response, manifest the kingdom through our lives. In another place, Matthew puts it like this, speaking of Jesus. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without paying. And these ideas of not being able to pay for righteousness, that echoed in Proverbs and right throughout Scripture, come and receive wisdom that you can't pay for. Come and get from God that which you cannot put a price on. We have received from God that which we cannot earn or we can quantify, and we're called to share it without limitation to people around us. It's an invitation for us into the wonderful life of the Spirit, and we'll talk in a different context, but it's an invitation about to joining a whole new community, There is no individual Christian on earth who is going to do anything great for God. We're called to be part of the bride of Christ. We are called to walk in unity and intimacy with one another in the local church in order to manifest the kingdom of God through us. If we cannot love the brother who's in front of us, we can't claim to love God. And if we cannot love the brother who's in front of us, how can we claim to love our enemies? This was the overflow of Bartimaeus satisfied. I want to look for a few moments at Bartimaeus hungry. Think of this man. I've given you some imagery of the kind of life that he struggled with. He's sitting blinded. It's unclear whether he was born blind or became blind. Typically the scriptures highlight when someone is born blind, not in this case. So we probably assume that there was a process that happened. Something began to change in his physical makeup. Maybe he had an accident and his sight became lost. And through the loss of his sight, he experienced a condensing of his choices, a condensing of his world. Opportunities passed up, relationships missing him, work no longer able, position can't stay there, finds himself now a place of limited hope. Maybe one square meter of the earth that he could call his, where he sits daily. But even that's temporary because you have to get up and go. And if someone doesn't get him in there the first day, the, ne- first, the next day, then someone else will be sitting in his spot. A place of uncertain direction. If I asked you all to stand up and to cover your eyes, like sometimes when we pray in church, you pray with your eyes closed and we're you know, hammering the heavens. And then you open your eyes and you're facing this way. And you're like, what's happened? Like we're, We get disorientated with our eyes closed. We get disorientated when we can't see. Imagine what life would be like if we were in this situation like Bartimaeus. And yet though this is a physical representation of someone born blind or experiencing blindness, it's such a picture of our nation today. The moment that you choose to exclude God from the perspective of life, you turn the world from being 4K into being black and white. And the further you push him away, you lose the black and white image. You get down to text. And the further you push him away, you go from text to mere emotion. Our nation right now is forcing its way away from God. And there needs to be a stirring in our hearts to hunger and thirst for the righteousness that will transform this nation once again. And God is interested in coming for identityless people. You know, it says here, Bartimaeus, who was the son of Timaeus. Now, either his name was Bartimaeus Bartimaeus, because Bar is son of, or they didn't bother to give him a name. Now, that's just Timaeus' son. He's not a contributor in society, he's just a, a man sitting by the side of the road, by the gate. He's got nothing to offer. We live in an age of identity where everyone is vying for identity, vying for position, vying for a claim to who we are. The problem is that we are multiplying the names for everything so much, this all become a blur, and no one can claim their identity. And Jesus came to the man who had no name. Jesus responded to someone who was calling from the edges, the very edges of a crowd. They were all really pressing in to hear from Christ. There's a man who is willing to shout louder from the outside. And I'm sure in heaven right now, there is a cry that the angels hear of the people who are so far from God, and yet they are making a louder racket. And us that are close to Christ are trying to drown out that din rather than go minister to and bring thirst quenching water, stomach satisfying food from the word of God to bring them into the knowledge of God. We never truly know ourselves until we behold the Father and until He stamps His image on us. The Bible unashamedly says, in the beginning God created man and He created the male and female. From that very start, God put His plan in our lives, in our DNA. And here, Bartimaeus, a man who had become blind by virtue of his circumstance. Not chosen blindness. We can still pray for people who have chosen blindness that their eyes would be opened. But he understood how desperately poor he was to be blind. And he wanted to reject his blindness with all that he was. He sorely wanted to see. And what a privilege for him that he lived at a time when Christ was walking around on the earth. Wow. What a privilege that we are living at a time when Christ is walking around on the earth. What a privilege when Jesus by his spirit lives in every single one of us. It doesn't mean that we need to have Jesus walking by for Bartimaeus to be healed. It just means that one of you needs to be walking by with faith in your heart that Jesus' promise applies today just like it did 2000 years ago. And here Bartimaeus is seated and he hears that Jesus is coming by. Maybe as you see so often with homeless people, he'd come to a place where he knew the footsteps of the givers see because there were the people that would walk by and they'd get faster and faster as they came to the blind man just to make sure that he wouldn't be able to stop so they're like running past and he's hearing their footsteps that's not somebody who's gonna come and heal me maybe he'd heard the people that come and stop and look and maybe read his sign and maybe carry on or the people that come and stop and pause and, and give he knew the kinds of noises of the people around him. But then he heard something so extraordinary, the sound of a massive crowd following after a rabbi. And more than that, it was Jesus. More than that, it was the one that he'd been hearing all of the stories about. And this man who knew how to respond to the sounds, knew the response for the sound of Jesus coming by. He sat up, he awakened, he said, is that Jesus? Jesus passing by, Son of David, Son of David, come and have mercy on me. He's not sitting there going, oh, Jesus. That's just He is desperate to see God. He's desperate for a touch from God. And then he does more than that. He begins to cry out. He begins to cry out, Jesus, over the noise of the people, over the noise of all of those trying to stop him. Jesus, I need you to stop. You know, the problem with our generation is we do this. Oh, oh, oh Jesus. It might be as we're flicking scrolling through Instagram, scrolling th- through Facebook. Hey, that that first line grabbed me. Oh, oh sounds like a great message. Oh, boring, five seconds in. Let me go to the next one. Let me go to the next one. Let me go to the next one. We never stop to consider Jesus and to call out to him and to pass by our 10-second engagements to a lifestyle, a hunger for the things of God. Bartimaeus c- cried out. He said, God, I need you in my life. And the moment... The moment there was any inkling of turning from Jesus, what does he do? He casts off his cloak. He says, you know what, I'm going to leave behind this old life. I'm going to get up and I'm going to follow. Can you imagine? He wasn't waiting for someone to come and lead him. Come on, Mr. Blind Man. He's jumped out of his seat. He's coming. Where am I going? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going towards that voice. I'm going towards the one who is calling me. We need to engage with Christ long enough to cast off our restraint. To cast off our limitation. Jesus, I'm going to serve you until um, I get my boyfriend or girlfriend. And then I'm going to be really passionate for you. You know, the the way that we see things go generally. Some great testimonies otherwise. But when people come to Christ because they want to find a boyfriend or girlfriend, they find a boyfriend, boyfriend or girlfriend and forget about Christ immediately. We need to cast off our are anchors to the old way of life and say, Jesus, whether boyfriend or girlfriend or not, whether job or not, whether home or not, whether serving you or working in the world, whatever it is, I want to follow you. And that's going to be it. That's my baseline because I want that righteousness in my life more than anything else. Amen? So Bartimaeus, hungry. Hungry. Passionate, gets up out of his seat, and what does he get? He gets more than just a healing. He gets more than just his sight. He gets the privilege of following Christ with every day of his life. What about us? I want us to begin to think from our perspective how hungry are we for God? How hungry are we for his righteousness? Sometimes, when I was a younger Christian, and this may well be happening to you today, so you sit in a revival kind of type message. There's been times when Bruce has preached revival type messages, and Christian and Colin, and just brought the glory of God, and you feel the conviction of God. But then you start to make these deals with yourself. You know, I'm going to go home, I'm going to read a little bit more of my Bible, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I can make 20 minutes to pray in the morning. Maybe I might be nice to that person on there. And we start to turn. The focus from pursuing Jesus down to laws and regulations and nice little things that we're going to do to appease our guilty consciences. Don't hunger and thirst for God contemplating the wrong standard. If you're thinking, I'm going to change these few things when I get home, you've got it totally wrong. It's totally unworthy to promise Jesus that you're going to tinker a little bit with your life, that you're going to fix little things here and there, completely insulting to Christ. Absolute abomination. Why? Because He didn't come for us to tinker. He came for us to be born again. He came for us to embrace the life of God. He came for us to become new creations in Christ Jesus, set free from sin so that we can walk in righteousness before God. Why? Because walking in righteousness before God is walking right with God. It's walking right with the Creator. There is no greater privilege, no greater joy, no greater aim for our lives than to follow Jesus with all of our hearts. And I want to invite you to start to deal with the Lord right there in your heart. Start to talk to Him. Because the heart cry for righteousness is not a list of things that we need to change. It's, Lord, do a work in me. Do something in my heart. Let my heart be radically changed. I don't want to be orientated towards sin and self-satisfaction. I want to be orientated towards life-giving relationship with you, Jesus. I want to know what it is to follow you with all of my life. I want to know what it is to wake up in the morning and the first passion in my heart is to say, Jesus, help me step out with your righteousness today. Help me walk in your righteousness today. I want to walk in that intimate relationship with you today. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Every one of the Beatitudes starts with a blessing in the middle of a context and ends with a promise that God himself makes to each one of us. If we focus on God's perspective in the present circumstance, there is a blessing that comes to us through God's promise. The quality of this promise is not a half baked yesterday, no tomorrow i 'm hoping that you don 't forget Jesus that you promised me that thing. you know if we leave it too long, Jesus, you know you promised me that I might get uh, a great job one day, but if you leave it too long i 'm going to panic. no <laughs> the promise from God is you will get what the Lord has promised you. every single promise from God is always fulfilled in full. The promise is for the present life and also in the life to come, both and. He promises that he wants to meet us. It's the richest of promises. And a promise for this context, he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be satisfied. He whose life becomes characterized by, how do I honor God with my life? How do I become a person that reveals the righteousness of Christ just in the way that righteousness is a person in Christ. How can I imitate Christ through my life? The promises, you will experience that. The promises that you will be satisfied by His goodness. The promises that you will see life from a totally different perspective, from God's perspective. The beautiful thing about this is it applies to everybody. Whether you were promiscuous, lost in sin. Whether you were the biggest drug addict or a drug dealer. Whether you are an alcoholic that used to abuse your family. Whether you're a manipulative and power-hungry individual. Whether you've always spoken of yourself as nothing, a slave, stupid, not able... Every one of us qualify. All of us that might be named or identified under those things, the righteousness of God is offered simply by faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to invite all of us today to make a response to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I know that in a crowd this size, there are some that will want to respond out of a desire for righteousness for the first time. If that's you and if you want to, come to know Jesus and to leave behind the life of sin and to say, I want Jesus's righteousness. There are people that are going to be standing with yellow packs. I want you to come and identify yourself to them. But we are all going to respond together. We're all going to say, Jesus, I want your righteousness. But it's of choice. There is no compulsion for you today. There is no demand upon you today. But I simply say, if you're one of those who want to jump in early, get in early on this fresh move of what God is doing. And you're want to say, you saying, God, I know that I've gone somewhere with you in my life so far, but I'm hungry and thirsting for that next step. I'm desiring for that next step. My invitation to you is to stand. And we're going to stand before God and we're going to start to cry out to God and say, God, I want you to pour your righteousness in me. I want to hunger and thirst for a fresh encounter with you. I want to hunger and thirst for something that's life transformatory. There's a band coming back. Um, I want to hunger and thirst for something that is going to change the trajectory of my life. So if you feel that that is a call to you, you might say the first category, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. But everyone who wants to say, Jesus, my choice today, I choose a hunger and thirst for you. I want to go deeper with you. I want us to stand.